This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Go With Yammo. Go With Yammo is an art exhibition app which helps you to find the exhibitions, art fairs and art events happening all around you. The app displays exhibitions based on your location, so the one closest to you will be at the top of the list, but if you're planning a trip, you can of course change your location to a different city. What makes the app really fun is that whenever you are at an exhibition, you can check in and earn points, which can then be used to redeem prizes from the in-app store, such as prints, exhibition tickets, books and more. Go With Yamo also create custom virtual exhibitions for galleries and artists. They will be creating the virtual space for our upcoming Art on a Postcard summer auction, which is definitely worth checking out. You can find all of these on their website, along with some great blog content, including artist interviews, exhibition recommendations, quizzes and reviews. The app is free to download from the App Store and the Google Play Store, so make sure you check it out and visit their website, www.gowithyamo.com. That's www.g-o-w-i-t-h-y-a-m-o.com. Welcome to Art on a Podcast, the podcast created by Art on a Postcard. This is the podcast where I speak to artists taking part in Art on a Postcard auctions. So welcome if you haven't been here before. For Art on a Postcard, artists donate postcard-sized artworks, especially for us, to raise funds for the Hepatitis C Trust. The Hepatitis C Trust has just celebrated its 20-year anniversary marking 20 years of raising awareness, lobbying Parliament and seeing the close elimination of what was back then a fatal virus. We are near our goal of eliminating Hepatitis C, which is super exciting and a really, really great time for the Hepatitis C Trust to have these funds raised for them. So we're very proud to do so. And we thank all of our artists, of course, for their generous donations. So today on the podcast, I chat with Andrew Salgado, which was so much fun and super interesting. It it fell on a day that Andrew had multiple interviews back to back. So I was lucky to be able to catch him. And if I had it my way, we probably would have chatted for hours more. So it's a very enjoyable 30 minutes of art chat for you, I hope. In the episode, we chat about the letdown of art school, Derek Jarman, symbolism, and I get an exclusive update, which is very exciting. Andrew Salgado graduated with an MA in Fine Art from Chelsea College of Art in 2009 and is regarded as one of the UK's leading figurative painters. Since 2010, he has had over 15 sold-out international solo exhibitions in London, New York, Cape Town, Basel, Zagreb, Toronto and Miami as well. So very excited to chat with him. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll catch you on the other side. So how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thanks. Thanks for um, asking me to do this interview. No worries. Actually, I might take my glasses off because at this point it kind of is creating a sort of inception. No problem. <laughs> of, 
<laughs> I'm moving myself off the screen so I don't stare at myself the whole time and get self-conscious. Just oh yeah. Yeah. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Um, yeah. a, few, a few friends and I went to the pub recently and there was a massive mirror next to the table we were sat Perfect. at. The worst. And we were all just like, oh my God, what's yeah. happened to us? Like, this it's, is just, it's a human nature thing that you just like, I FaceTime with my parents and I'm always like staring at myself in the corner and I just wish I could just get rid of that damn thing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway... Anyway. anyway, um, so how are you? Where are you right now? Are you in the studio? Are you working? Yeah, I'm in um, my studio's in uh, Lemon Fields, so I'm in my studio, uh, and I'm just getting some admin stuff not admin, just like I just repainted my floor and built new shelves, and so I'm just getting like spring cleaning like a few years and a few seasons too late, but you know, better late than never. Yeah, definitely. So we're really excited that you're doing art on a postcard. Me um, too, actually. You um, well, because I I I, I kind of missed the, the deadline as I had last time as well. Gemma, Gemma sort of knows to keep hounding me, and then when you were like, "Oh, we'll interview you," I kind of went back and thought, "Okay, well, let's see if I can sneak this in." So I did. So thank you for asking. Yeah, no, great. Um, we're we're really really excited to have you on board again, and also love your cards. So well, that <laughs> they're great, and we'll we'll get stuck into those a bit later. Okay. Um, but to start off the podcast, what I usually do is just uh, give you the floor for a second, and to any listeners who maybe haven't seen your work or maybe they don't know so much about your practice, um, would you introduce yourself? Sure. Well, my name is Andrew Salgado. I'm a Canadian artist. I'm actually now British as well, which um, I still find funny when I say out loud. But after 14 years. Um, they let me in finally um, and uh, I've been based in East London um, almost that whole time I'm a graduate of Chelsea College in um, well in Chelsea in Pimlico now actually um, I graduated in 2008 um, and I've just been based in London Fields basically ever since um, my work is figurative and abstract and usually quite colorful um, and I've worked with art on a postcard a few times in the past and um, I don't know I, I I like to I work with a lot of charities. I like, I, I think that, um, well, I like, I, th I like the idea of using art for charitable causes, um, just because I think that I have a platform for it um, and I can do it quite easily. So I like, yeah, I like working with a lot of charities. Um, I don't know, and I, I guess I, I should feel good. I brag about this a little bit, but with uh, the Terence Higgins Trust, which is an HIV AIDS charity, we've raised almost 150,000 pounds in the past six years. So that's something that I'm really proud of because, um, you know, I think art, yeah, art is an easy way to give back. Mm -hmm, for sure, for sure. And like you mentioned, you know, I kind of wanted to ask you, you haven't, you didn't graduate that long ago, like relatively in terms of like somebody's art, art career. Like, you know. I'm glad you think so because to me, it's like, oh my God, it's like 13 years ago. It feels like an age ago. <laughs> well, I'm glad you think so. Okay. I, I kind of wanted to get an idea of sort of what what since then, like, you know, launching your career as an artist, because I know it's, there's always this sticky kind of um, relationship artists have with being with it being a career thing and also your point of self-expression. I mean, I think I'm a, I'm, I'm a bit more I think artists like to, you know, play that game like, oh, it's just my art. It's, you know, don't pervert don't pervert my genius with you know, <laughs> logistics. But the reality is that to afford a studio, you need to make money and to afford materials, you need to be making money. So um, commerce, whether we want to believe that or not, commerce 
definitely comes into play with that. And with that become market trends and the, um, the capital I big ugly word industry, which is a reality of what we do. Um, so I think, yeah, the past, well, what, what, over 10 years has been learning to um, treat myself and what I do as a business, as sort of a sole enterprise business. But at the same time, um, I think, you know, I think they, that and my creative integrity can be intertwined, if not mutually exclusive. So on one hand, you know, I, I come in here and I do what I do from the heart and I do what I do because I believe in it, but I have to be, I have to be cognizant of the market and the market trends. And I've often said that I'm not inherently a business person, but um, I'm quite savvy and I, I won't make the same mistake twice. So you, you learn as you go, you know, and I think that um, it's foolish to come out of art school or if you skip the art school, you know, vacuum, um, <laughs> vortex, uh, I think you have to be really savvy to make it in this industry. And what you're seeing now more than ever are artists who um, are skipping art school and just, just who are quite good at social media. And you, I think you're seeing that across the board in a lot of, in a lot of industries. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I was spending some time with somebody in yeah, for Art on a Postcard in their studio recently, and they are currently at the Slade Art School in London. And they were kind of like, I have my final degree show now, but it, it's not as much rests on that as yeah. kind of sending you know, I get a lot of um, younger artists or, or like less, whatever, artists who are, who are still in the pursuit of getting a degree. And um, a lot of them write me saying like, I don't know, I like my, my tutors don't, aren't feeling what I'm doing or so how do I survive? And, and re realistically, I just say, you just have to get passing grades. Mm -hmm. That's all you need, just play the game, uh, which sounds really nihilistic and pessimistic, but um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I am rather vocal about going to Chelsea and having a miserable time there. So it's not right. really about art school, it's about who you are as a, a person and as a business. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, to anybody that's listening, that's worried about, you know, the, the drama that is art school, just survive, just get through and then get back on track and do whatever it is you want to do. Because I was, I was basically told in art school that painting was dead. I mean, it's this, the, the age old argument. Painting's dead, what's, what's painting? What's art, figurative art's dead? Like, okay, blah, blah, blah. Let's move on to the, ne to the next conversation because it's just bullshit. Art's art and there's always gonna be avenues for painting or what have you and and you know you yeah make, and it's about resilience I think it's about it's about learning to come out of being beaten down and mm. come out on top yeah it's going to happen in the career in the career you're going to you're going to have numerous times where rejection or you know peaks and troughs it's 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 highs and lows and it's yeah. about weathering the storm did you did you feel Kind of how did you weather that storm of the pushback in the art school of like, no, I'm here as a painter. That's what I am. Um, that's going to be my medium. Yeah, I mean, it was really difficult at the time. Uh, I wasn't as uh, determined. And, I, you know, and it's, it's easy to say in retrospect where I have, you know, like an almost 15 year career behind me. It's easy now to say, oh, I just kept my head held. I mean, it was <laughs> it was difficult at the time. I always say whether it's conviction or stupidity, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what it is, but I have plenty of it. Maybe it's a healthy combination of the two. But, you know, there's kind of the fallacy that an art career is like all champagne receptions and, and, and glory. Like there's a lot of 
thankless hours and a lot of a lot of rejections. And for every um, well curated and well cultivated, uh, you know, email blast that goes out saying I'm in this show or this has happened, there's there's nine rejections um, and dead ends that people don't see. So um, I like to I I like to try to. That's a lot of verbs, but I like to try to demystify. Um, what an art career is because nobody did that for me and still people don't like to do that. So hopefully I can provide a bit of a breath of fresh air for people, but um, yeah, there, it's, it's, I think it's about navigating. I think it's about a, looking at a long-term game and yeah. particularly now, you know, I'm not sure if I was lucky or unlucky, but I was just before the advent of Instagram, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how many artists, that can shoot through that. You know, I'm not sure that likes and follows directly relate to sales and longevity, but time will tell. Yeah, absolutely. It's ever changing and it's so hard to get a grasp on, but we can, all we can do is try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and I kind of wanted to get so obviously you know like you said 15 years of an art career but this art practice I would imagine has been uh, something that began way before the advent of art school and so I wondered if you could uh, talk me through your relationship with painting itself the act of painting so like stepping towards a canvas or whatever surface it, it may be and just attacking it with paint how how has that journey changed for you over the years well my mom my mom has this story whether it's true or not but she always says that I didn't like coloring books and I would I would open them back to front and color on like the blank sides of the page um I think that's just what's happened what <laughs> happens over years is you you sort of learn to shirk the negativity and the, because I think that's what I found, you know, this, this sounds like a podcast just pissing on art school, but um, I found <laughs> that, was, that was what I came out of art school with was this unbridled, like uncharacteristic fear and, and concern that I was doing something wrong as opposed to mm-hmm. with confidence, it sort of did the opposite. Um, and it's taken me that time to realize that there is no right way, there is no right process mm-hmm. um, and to kind of regain that confidence. So um, I try to have fun now more with right. canvas and, you know, and not expect things to happen immediately. I, 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 <laughs> I always sort of poke fun at myself saying that this sounds like the most, you know, bullshit, like wanky artist thing that I say, but I, but I believe <laughs> it. And I always say that the second I started letting a painting tell me what it wanted to be and where it wanted to go, I became a stronger artist than trying to shoehorn my vision into that piece. Right. Because a painting, you know, your, your, your materials react differently every time and, and um, little changes don't always work out the same way. So you as an artist have to be able to respond to this alchemic reaction that's happening on your canvas and yeah. you have to be able to respond to spontaneity and accidents and, um, keep that loose idea, but keep it a loose, keep it loose, keep it, keep it a framework as opposed to um, an, you know, because what what you create in your head, you can never really recapture. So sort of loosen the, loosen the strings and just have fun with it and enjoy the process because like we were saying, you know, 14 years passes in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, the, and then the other very practical thing I do is I always have a lot of pieces going at once so I can, right. working with oil, there's just the, 
the reality that it takes a long time for pieces to dry before you can move yeah. on. So, um, you know, I kind of just bounce around here and uh -huh. play music and have fun. And sounds sounds incredible. It sounds like a good way to spend your life. Um, and. Uh, you know, you mentioned doing the figurative painting and the portraiture, and I wonder, having done a bit of research, there's this mention of, you know, the symbolism. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if you could give some examples of, the, of those symbols, if someone wanted to sort of start uncracking the codes within your work, um, and where, where one might see those. You know, I think they, they come through in more obvious ways or less obvious ways. And if you think of, for instance, like literature, it's just, it's more like thematic motifs that start to run through the work. Mm -hmm. um, like, and I don't think it's as easy as saying, you know, for instance, there's a sun or a moon and sometimes both that's been happening a lot lately. And I don't think it's as easy, even for myself as saying, oh, the moon represents this. But what starts happening is you start building up a series of signs. Oh my God, if, we're gonna, if we wanna go art nerd on us right now, like a, a series of semiological like messages that I think should mean something different to everybody. I don't like the idea that, you know, I have my intentions and each show has its kind of greater meaning, but I think it cheapens the work to be like, well, this is equal to this and this is equal to this. Mm -hmm. I think that mystery, um, allows it to be porous for everybody. And I also think that I'm not even fully aware all the time of what's happening. And I think sometimes the less I try to overthink things, the more um, causal and spontaneous and fun they can be. Now that's not to say they're like bereft of meaning because there's, there's certainly, there's a lot of, you know, I read a lot or um, just things that sort of inspire me and they, they kind of end up recurring in the paintings. And then they themselves become kind of symbolic, symbol, symbolical, symbolical for, <laughs> for whatever they are, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, they're there. You can kind of trace them and sort of, I'm like looking around the studio right now, trying to think of, trying to think of what the hell they are. And they, they sort of grow with every successive show. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's as simple as just colors. Yeah. Um, but I think overall with any artist, you're looking at a greater system of mark making and or signs that attribute to that artist's kind of conscious creativity or something. Yeah, 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 that I get sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's kind of maintaining the sense of fluidity uh, for yourself as the painter so that you're able to sort of play in that space, but also for the viewer to be able to play with you, I guess. <laughs> through what and I, I found that in the past that anytime I, spend too much time describing specific things. You know, I've, cr I've kind of cringed at old interviews where I've told a viewer what to see or think. Um, I like the ambiguity mm -hmm. and I like that viewers bring their own interpretation to yeah. them. Because yeah. for instance, if you, live, if you listen to an album by a musician that you love, you're going to get a different perspective and meaning from a song than somebody next door. And you very rarely have the opportunity to speak to the musician who's going to say, well, this actually references this. I mean, it's every wrong response is the right response. Mm, if it's, yeah. if it's um, evoking an, a memory or a feeling from the viewer, then I've succeeded. Mm -hmm, yeah. And I guess, you know, with prescriptive symbolism, like for instance, you know, like the, like the, like the, the pomegranate 
being you know a, this like really art history symbol of fertility and femininity and all of that sort of stuff it kind of how can a painter paint a pomegranate without it <laughs> without it uh, you know and it's true because every time you use certain things you're like you're bringing its history with it mm. but you're kind of um at the same time like subverting it from its history but you, you also have that historical baggage that comes with it so I like to be really knowledgeable about the history of art and I like to play with art historical tropes um, or Greek mythology or biblical sim symbolism, but then I don't ever want to get too wed to any one reading or idea because it's yeah. still my work at the end of the day. Mm -hmm, sure. And I like to have fun with that and, and kind of um, keep people guessing, I suppose. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, one, set of artworks that I would love for you to describe in some ways that you can, keeping whatever, you know, obfuscation that you want to. Um, the Artists with Big Noses series that you've <laughs> given us that art on a postcard are beautiful, textural, layered, just exactly, you know, it's just wonderful little snippets um, of you know the bigger pieces that you might do, and we're really really grateful for them. Is there anything you can give us about those artworks? So first of all, it is so friggin' difficult to paint on such a small piece of paper. So that <laughs> wasn't a big challenge, but um, you know I didn't want to just go like okay flowers. I've given you guys flowers a few times in, in, in the past years because it's, it's just easy to do on this you know piece of paper the size of my palm. Um, but basically, my new my new show that I'm, I'm creating, I'm doing a show right now called Four Seasons in a Small Room, and it's um, uh, how much do I want to get into this? Okay, it's based loosely on Derek Jarman's um, autobiography, Modern Nature, mm -hmm. but that's sort of a stand-in for the fact that I've spent two years writing uh, my own memoir. So um, this is the first time I've said this publicly <laughs> to anybody. Wow, exclusive. <laughs> so yeah, the exclusive news. Um, <laughs> but I just have a, um, so I, I find that's really the only way to, to, to explain it. Um, so, and in that process, I have been obviously, you know, I read a lot and I have been reading a lot. Um, and then on top of that, I've been reading about reading. So, um, so some of the, these people that started coming up in my reading and in my inspiration were like Derek Jarman and Virginia Woolf. And then I actually read a book by, um, I want to say, oh, no, it's not Bernie Sanders, George Saunders. And it's um, um, A Swim in the Pond in the Rain. And it's about, uh, it's basically his course for um, Syracuse University. And it's a it's basically about how to read Russian literature, which is, you know, like famously dense and famously uh, cryptic and, and, and uh, hard to break. So I started reading these, he, so he has short stories and then he kind of deconstructs these short stories and teaches you as a reader how to read them. So all this in my pursuit to become, you know, like a, a better writer myself. And um, one of the short stories is called The Nose by Gogol. And it's about a, it's sort of this surrealist it's sort of a surrealist take, um, quite absurd, about this man who's an, who turns into a nose and walks around and like smokes a pipe and people are like, oh, he's this nose and what's up with it? He's just a giant nose. <laughs> and then I just, so I guess one of the things I always like to think about with my work is that I'm equally as sincere with my work as I am kind of taking the piss. Mm -hmm. So I'll Love put that. a piece and it might have a very self-conscious title, but I always think my work is is as sincere 
you know, my message is just as sincere as it is poking fun at the thing it's talking about. Um, right. So, you know, Derek Jarman, Virginia Woolf, and Gogol all deal with big noses. And I, I have this running joke with my friends that I have a big nose. So it's kind of putting myself into this context in sort of a very self-reflexive way and branching out from looking at my new body of work as just Derek Jarman and, and incorporating the act of creating uh, in a broader sense. Virginia Woolf, like into the lighthouse, for instance, she talks about like it's framed through the framed sort of more or less through the eyes of a, a painter who's and it's just kind of, it's kind of these broader themes of creation. And I, f I have found that literature and writing has allowed me a different perspective on my own creative process in the studio. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really funny how one kind of uh, overlaps with the other. So these little tiny pieces are just, um, I guess, studies for bigger pieces that I'm doing and including in my show. But I just thought it was so funny, the fact that they all have big noses, so I thought, well, let's call it artists with big noses. <laughs> that is so super interesting. And I'm like, I'm just so glad now that I managed to get you on the podcast to talk about that, because like that story might have just gone by and those pieces would have, you know, they would have been beautiful paintings, but I just think, it just, you know, it's just so exciting for us to get to hear. And I, th I think it's a good example to see how you see what I mean, where it's where it's kind of a joke, you know, artist big nose, but then there's a serious and sincere thing behind it. So whatever the reader wants to take from that, yeah. uh, they can. And um, I think I've always thought it was really cool to have, you know, people that you admire and respect work their way into your own work. And, and, and you know, anytime, because, because if you start tracing the history of inspiration. You know, Francis Bacon was inspired by, you know, Edgar Allan Poe, among others, and Edgar Allan Poe was inspired by, like, you know, whoever, and so on and so forth. So it's kind of like, well, you said Inception earlier, it's kind of like these Russian dolls of creativity and that we're all sharing the same, oh my God, I sound like such a space cadet right now, but we're all sharing like the same, like, cosmological <laughs> energy, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. It's so, so super fascinating. And, um, and I think these pieces, you know, especially knowing that they are smaller sketches for large pieces, I'm really glad that we could even, you know, in a very small way, provide that space for you. What's over here? There she is. Oh, my goodness me. So, um, yeah, I kind of like, I have this idea of a painting called The Russians, and it's like, in my head. Yeah. Again, talking about what's in your head versus what ends up on a, on a painting. But I have this idea of like a, a therapist, a guy talking to his therapist, but the therapist is dreaming of all these like floating heads of the Russian authors. I don't even know. I don't even, I don't even like <laughs> Russian literature. So what the fuck am I talking about? Oh, sorry. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can say that, sorry. But, um, <laughs> but, but hey, it, it's not, I guess it's not necessarily about what you like, really. I mean, like, it sounds like, you know, Derek Jarman is an influence on you and you've enjoyed Virginia Woolf's work. But like, maybe, maybe it's something other than necessarily just what your taste enjoys. And it's, it's, well, it's about like putting yourself, maybe it's a bit arrogant because I certainly don't think I'm in the same ilk as like a, a, a Virginia Woolf or a Derek Jarman, for instance. But it's sort of about trying to situate yourself in a greater art historical context. and. And on one hand, it's kind of like just showing admiration for where where I've come from and, and the, the building blocks that, that have put me where I am. <laughs> yeah, I just think this share the share of creative energy is really interesting. 
maybe and maybe in a way now where like Instagram has made everybody so accessible mm. that there are some of these lesser known, well, not lesser known, but you know, everybody goes to like Francis Bacon or or what whatever. Yeah. Um, it's kind of fun to pluck through these these weird art historical figures that maybe have inspired you in some strange way. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the act of reading is something so, it's, it really slows you down and it's something so contemplative. It's very hard to engage in text and reading without sort of, I don't know, just, it alters, I think, the way you start to process the whole rest of the world, which is, I anyway, this could go on and on because I also read an article recently about how more kids are reading, uh, like sort of teenagers are reading because they spend all their time. The, the irony is that um, like the boomers or whatever criticize the millennials. And technically I am actually a millennial. I was born 82, but I don't know where the cutoff is, but the the millennials and the, Z, the Gen Zs or whatever's next, yeah. we're reading more than like the last, generations before us. Yeah. So there is a reaction to, there is a big reaction to social media where people are getting off Facebook, getting off Instagram, they're picking up books more. I for one find like, and this is not trying to be arrogant because like I love, you know, 90 day fiance and say yes to the dress as much as the next person. But, but I do <laughs> actually, I do actually find like movies and TV quite boring. Um, whereas yeah. when I'm reading, I find reading more active. I find painting more passive in the sense that my mind can wander when I'm painting. But when I'm reading, my mind is very active. So originally it was a response to the anxieties I was feeling by surfing on Instagram and feeling, you know, lesser than um, or inadequate. So I started picking up books and just kind of found it very rewarding. I mean, like you say, this could go on and on and on, but yeah i would love to sort of see you one evening like a fly on the wall of you watching like a derek jarman film followed by say yes to the dress you know what's funny i've never <laughs> seen a jarman film right. and i i feel like my knowledge of jarman is limited to modern nature and i'm i'm okay with that because i don't want to at least for the time being i'm really happy with what modern nature gave to me uh-huh. and i almost don't want to pervert it like yeah. It's such a profound, beautiful read that I'm not sure how far down the rabbit hole I want to go. I, I like my knowledge right now. Yeah. Have you visited the house um, down? Oh, no, I, I, I really, in Dungeness, I really, really want to actually. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, one of the guys I paint, Sandro Kopp, is um, Tilda's partner. And it was, I was, the book's really funny because he talks about all these things sort of in a way that assumes your, your, pre, your pre-existing knowledge. And he kept talking about Tilda, Tilda, Tilda. And finally I wrote Sandro and I was like, is this like your Tilda or, and I'm not that close with Tilda. Like, that's not what I'm trying to imply. I'm close with, <laughs> I'm close with her partner, Sandro. Um, and he's like, oh yeah, they were like best friends. So it's just so funny to actually think that within one degree of separation, I'm like, it, it's, I guess what I'm saying is it's more, it's more of a recent history that I can actually yeah. and, and relate to, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know? And, yeah. and there's something really beautiful about like, well, as I, as I joke with my friends, if you've ever, you know, thought, geez, I wish I could read a 500 page book about somebody planting flowers and dying of AIDS. Well then boy, do I have the book for you. Um, when you put it like that, there's a certain niche. <laughs> but it's just, I mean, it's just spectacular. So um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, thank you. I, do you know what? I'm going to let you get on to your next interview. Cause you're- well, sorry, I didn't mean to rush. They're like phoning me off the hook. I think they think I have no 
responsibility here, but <laughs> you're probably right with that. Listen, Rose, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for your questions. It was lovely, lovely to chat to you, Andrew. Thank you so much for giving up time and thank you for your kind donation. Bye, Rose, my pleasure. Have a nice day. Take care, bye. Andrew Salgado there on Art on a Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I don't know if you could tell, but I got a real energy speaking to Andrew. He's a very sort of dynamic person to speak to. He was, you know, recording stood up in his studio and it was all very fun. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Next time I'll be speaking to Ian Everard, another participating artist in our winter auction 2021 all the information for the auction is available on our website, www.artofpostcard.com, along with those Artists with Big Noses pieces by Andrew Salgado for you to go and take a look at. If you want to keep up to date with all things Art on a Postcard and not miss out on any of the updates, then do follow us at Art on a Postcard if you don't already on all your usual social channels. Take care and I'll see you next time. <laughs>